Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Horizon. If you're able to, would you please stand and join us as we worship together here this morning? Sinners, come find His mercy. 
your family your blood flows through my veins so I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God continue in numbers and we find the children of Israel again in this wilderness of testing and we'll see that after seeing these consequences after seeing what happened to the mutiny against Moses that they start to feel bad for what had happened and they even blame Moses and Aaron saying you have killed the people of the Lord so God reacts in the same way towards the sympathizers and he says, get away from the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And we see something different this time. We see Aaron, the high priest, will offer an incense to make atonement for the congregation. 
And it's here that we see a glimpse in the Old Testament of what our high priest, Jesus, has done for us. That he steps in to the middle of our, our mess, in the middle of our situation, and he makes atonement for us. So that when God sees us, when he looks upon our lives, he doesn't see brokenness, he doesn't see the many ways that we've fallen short. Instead, he sees holiness, he sees perfection, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, in you. So can we sing to God here this morning just to tell him that we need him, that we need his grace and his mercy in our lives. Let's sing.
God, you know the many ways that we need you in our lives. You know the brokenness. You know the many ways that we've unfortunately fallen short. But God, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that we have only through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we look forward to uh, just getting to know you more here this morning as we study your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. My one defense, my righteousness, oh Lord, how I need you. You feel that this morning? I know sometimes it's so hectic before you get in here. Sometimes you just need that time of music to like remind you of what's true. To let our hearts settle into that space where we realize, yeah, I need Jesus all the time. And you know what? That is really what they're discovering in the book of Numbers is how much they need God at every moment. And if you've been tracking with us, you see how when they push back against that, how much it causes pain, even death in some of these stories. And there's been this cycle where the people complain and the people rebel and then they experience this pain. And the people complain and the people rebel and they experience pain. And the people complain and the people rebel. So if you're getting a little tired of the cycle of complaining, that's kind of the point. In fact, that's part of why the New Testament continually brings up the book of Numbers in places like Corinthians, in Jude, in Hebrews, because it's not just like this was a really stupid group of people who make these stupid mistakes that we would never make. The idea is that the problems they're dealing with are the same problems that all of us have throughout history. And they show up in, in kind of unique ways. Because essentially, it's, it's one of the core problems of humanity that we think that God should have to approach us on our terms. That we should get to make up the terms of the arrangement. And if he's really a nice God, he'll go with it, right? And, and so when that happens in this book, you know, one of the things that we see is this idea of self-righteousness. That I think that I should be able to come to God on my own merit. And that on some level, I've been a good enough person that, honestly, I think God kind of owes me. You know, another way it shows up in this book of Numbers is by lowering God's standard. At least thinking that we can. That I like his promises, I like his blessings, I'm not necessarily planning to obey him, at least not in all of the ways that he said, because, I mean, really, do I have to do everything that God said? And so we think we will lower his standard a little bit, but he should kind of be good with that, because I'm doing most of the stuff he's in. That's happened in the book of Numbers, we've seen it. And the third way that just started to come out last week, and you're going to see it again here, is blame shifting which human beings have been good at since the dawn of time. Go back and read like Genesis 3 and see how everybody's blaming everybody else for what went wrong. You know, that I can stand here and say, well, I did that, but it's because he did that. Or, well, I don't think that what I did was so bad. I mean, did you see what she did? And we try to shift the blame where it, it, it may be that there's blame over here, but can I own that there's something in me that's actually broken, something in me that actually needs forgiveness. And so we're going to pick up at the end of Numbers chapter 16 today, and we're going to move through three different parts of one solution that God is giving his people for this problem. Because if you remember last week, we saw the rebellion that came out of the complaining of Korah. People from the family of the Levites who thought that they should get to be the high priest. And so God went through this whole thing, having them bring out censers with fire, like Neil mentioned, where only Aaron's censer was accepted to show that God had a chosen high priest. And those who clung to the rebellion, who refu refused to move away, died. So now you will never guess how the people respond to that event. Check this out, number 16, verse 41. On the next day... Less than 24 hours later, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel, wait for it, complained. Isn't that shocking? They complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Okay, there's the blame shifting. Not, 
We realize what we've done is wrong, rejecting God's high priest and God's prophet. We're sorry, forgive us, mercy, something. No, you did this. We're the people of the Lord. Don't you know who we are? And you've killed us. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting. All right, so Moses and Aaron did. And suddenly the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Right, this is a moment of prayer for Moses and Aaron. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. So there's a dramatic moment here. But I want you to especially focus on Aaron. Because think about what this means for him. Whatever this plague is, it is spreading so fast that we're still on the same day and people are dropping dead. And he runs into the middle of it. Now, as, as a priest alone, let alone the high priest, they normally avoid death. Being around death can make you unclean, which means now the priest would not be able to fulfill his duties because he has to be clean and pure to go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices for people. So he's putting something at risk here. But even more than that, they gathered against him. Their specific complaint is that they, shot, they thought they should get to be high priest. If, if you read back last week in the rest of chapter 16... When they come against Moses and Aaron, Moses said, God is going to show who he's chosen. Moses assumes the answer is Aaron, because that's the primary rebellion here. We want a different high priest. So Aaron, the one that they rebelled against, is risking his life to save them. To stand before God on their behalf to provide atonement, a covering, to make things right between God and the people again. See, that's the first part of the solution that God is giving them. Stand with the only one who stands between you and death. When you think about this heroic moment for Aaron, he is the only one who's been called to this position as high priest. And we know enough about Aaron to know that it's not because Aaron is the guy who always gets it right. It's not because Aaron is the most qualified. If you rewind just a couple years in their history, when Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, you remember what Aaron's doing? Collecting gold to build the golden calf. Like he gives in to the people. This is our high priest? And you don't even have to go back that far. Go back, what is it, five, six chapters? Four chapters? Aaron is complaining with his sister against Moses. And so Aaron is not a perfect person. Far from it. It's one of those times where you see, like we, we hear this catchy phrase sometimes, that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Aaron is not high priest because he's so holy. Who else could we possibly pick? <laughs> He's high priest because God has given this to him. God has chosen him and said, my people need to see what it looks like when someone is willing to risk their life for atonement. You see, one of the things that you're going to notice today as we look deep into this old covenant text, thousands of years before Jesus, 
is the reality that Hebrews told us. That this whole thing was about Jesus the whole time. That this whole bit about Aaron today, like it's a, he's a real man in a real situation making a real choice. Do I run this censer into the middle of a plague to make atonement for people who are complaining about me? And he doesn't even hesitate. That he is what stands in the way of God's judgment. So it's kind of a strange moment. Like, did he change God's mind? Did God not realize what was going on here? Couldn't God have stopped himself? But what if God is using this moment to show us who Jesus is going to be? That our complaining, our rebellion, our sin brings plague. But that God has a plan for a hero who stands between you and death. See, all of the things that we're going to see today are directly foreshadowing Christ. And as I thought about it this week, I was, I was trying to think, like, what are some of those really cool stories you hear about people who just, like, they run into the fire. You know, they risk their own lives to save others. And I, I found, like, article after article about, you know, somebody who leaves their own car to, to run down to a burning vehicle and drag somebody out and save their life. I read one about a guy in Nigeria who saw a, a boat capsize. You know, they hit something underwater and 13 people were drowning. And there was only one fatality that day. It was the man who saved all 13 of those people. That he risked his life to save them from death. You, know, you, you hear these stories, like these, these crisis moments where somebody just goes into hero mode and does something that nobody else could. But at the same time, this is like every day for Aaron. As the high priest... He is set up as the one who brings the sacrifice. He is the one that goes into the holy of holies. He is the one that God has set up as the signal that there is one solution. It's not Korah. It's not even Moses. It's not anybody else in the camp who wants to put themselves in that position. God has said it is only my high priest who can step in that moment between life and death. And so it kind of reminded me um, of a friend of mine who's in the medical field. And there are a lot of areas of the medical field, but for some crazy reason in my mind, <laughs> he chose emergency medicine. You know, that every day when he goes into work, he is the last line of defense before death for people. And so I remember, you know, when he was first telling me this, because, you know, we were just getting to know each other, and he's describing his job, and he's describing what happens in the middle of the night, and he's telling me about this, and and to him, it's like exciting. And I'm sitting there thinking like, that is so inspirational. Like you have a chance every day. You might be a hero. And I am so thankful that it is you <laughs> and not me carrying that kind of pressure. You know, to be the one who has to be responsible. That if something's going wrong, you step in and I will still be sleeping because it's two in the morning. <laughs> you know, that's the role that Aaron has been given. He didn't even choose it for himself. God chose him to be the one that stands between life and death. And so at the end of this rebellion, essentially what God has done, and not only through the censor, like we saw last week, but also now in this moment where the plague stops because the high priest stood between them, God is affirming his high priest. And now he wants to make that abundantly clear. So as we turn into chapter 17, God's going to do something very similar again so that they know for sure this is not a fluke. The plague didn't die out on its own. This is God's high priest. So look at what the Lord says to Moses. 17 verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house. All their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods and write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. Right, so what God is describing for them here is when he tells them to take the rod, the idea is basically their walking stick, a staff that each of them would have as they led their tribe. And the word that's used for rod is mateh. It's a Hebrew word, but it actually has a double meaning. 
It is both the staff, but it is also the word for tribe. So it's kind of a play on words here, but the idea is that as they write their name on that staff, each person in their tribe is known by the name of the one that they follow. And so every other leader has a chance. Like, it's not rebellion this time. God says to do this. Put your name on your staff, and we're going to bring them all to the tent of meeting before the Ark of the Covenant. And so Moses brings all of the staffs, Aaron's with his name on it, one from each leader, because God says he's going to do a miracle. Because I know I bought that one like at Home Depot. That's not really probably what Aaron's looked like. <laughs> but the idea is, it's, it's every bit a dead piece of wood, right? But God says he's going to choose one person and their rod is going to bud. So look what happens next. Moses spoke to the children of Israel and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's houses, 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Okay, the idea here is that it has gone into the Holy of Holies. The tabernacle of witness is the tabernacle of testimony. This is the holiest place, the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. Which means... Nobody can mess with this thing. Nobody can sneak in in the middle of the night because then you would just find their corpse in there. Like anybody who approaches the Holy of Holies besides the high priest or Moses, who is God's special prophet, drops dead. So putting them there means that nobody can mess with it. And it says, It came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. Okay, so the picture is that my, my nice Home Depot block of wood is growing. I know, you thought it was going to be way more impressive than this, but this, remember, this is a miracle, you guys. I can't actually do this. So, so here's my, my budding rod. But, but think about how crazy this is. Because I, I know like winter came back a little bit this weekend, but it's spring around here. And I, one of the things I love in Cincinnati is all these trees that just explode in white blossoms. It is so beautiful. And that seems like it can happen almost overnight, right? So, I mean, is that a big deal if it, you know, if it blossoms overnight? But here's what's happening. Not only is this a dead piece of wood, not only does it sprout and blossom, it actually gets all the way to the point of bearing fruit. Ripe almonds overnight. God does a miracle to show that there is one high priest that they should follow. That there is one that he has chosen. Then Moses, verse 9, brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked. All right, that's important. They saw it for themselves. And they looked, and each man took his rod and the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints aside. You see, he wants this to be a sign to them. It, that it's not just one random moment, and hopefully you remember. He says to take it, keep it as a sign against the rebels, put away their complaints, lest they die. All right, that's a key phrase, lest they die. Because we just saw what's happened to the rebels in the chapter before, right? So Moses did it. Just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So Aaron's rod is brought before the ark permanently. And you see other places in the Bible that refer to that. We saw it in Hebrews as well. Here's the idea. Not only that they have this sign, but that they kept it. That they might look and keep looking. That when the sign, which was against the rebels, has a very specific purpose, that they not die. You, you can't miss that. God's whole point here is that he wants to give them life. And so that's the second part of the solution for us. Look at life through the only one who gives life. You know, that just like they had to look at it, they had to see the evidence they wanted to know. They weren't just taking Moses' word for it. They had seen God at work. They had a sign and a symbol, 
that Aaron was God's chosen one. That if they wanted to be able to approach God, if they wanted life with God, if they wanted to see his promise and see his blessing, it's going to come through his covenant administered by his chosen high priest, Aaron. And so they keep it. And, and I don't know how that hits you, because I'm thinking, if I'm one of the rebels, I'm like, oh my word, there's that, there's that stick again, the one with the almonds. Like, I know, remember that day when we did the thing and we probably shouldn't have said that? <laughs> so here's the thing, though. Here's what I find really encouraging about this. There are times in my life that I wish I could forget. And yet, as God has delivered me from those times, forgiven me for those moments, there's also something sort of sweet about remembering that he didn't leave you there. And so I don't know what may be in your life that feels like a regret that you've, you wish you could forget. And not like we have to bring it up every day. I mean, that, if that thing's in with the ark, that means it's in the Holy of Holies. So they would only see it if they're traveling. You know, it's not, it's not like Aaron's waving it. Hey, don't forget you guys. <laughs> you know? And yet there's something there that even out of the rebellion, God brings them a sweet reminder that he wants to give life. That even from some of the moments in our life that may have been painful, they actually become a reminder of healing. Because I wouldn't be here if God didn't do miracles. I wouldn't be forgiven if God hadn't chosen a high priest. You see, this is why it is so critical that we understand the message of the New Testament the message of the Old Testament, the message of the Bible is all built on Jesus Christ. That it's not just a book of good advice. As great as the advice is in the Bible, you know, as helpful as it is to memorize a proverb, memorize a psalm, repeat those things to yourself, like it helps me in my parenting, absolutely. It is loaded with good advice because God made the universe and he knows how it works. But it's not primarily a book of rules. It's not primarily a book of good advice. We've been talking in our exploring series about resurrection. That the main story of the Bible is that we are not bad people who need to be better. We're dead people who need to be made alive. And God says that he has chosen one through whom we can find life. And I know that in our culture, that can sound pretty offensive. And Jesus owned that. I mean, Jesus admitted that this is going to sound offensive and people will be offended. It doesn't make it any less true. It doesn't make it any less beautiful. Because part of the attack that a skeptic has against the message of Jesus is that he says he's the only way and that doesn't seem fair. And so we're right back to thinking God should come to me on my terms. But you've got to realize that the message that Jesus is the only way is not a message of exclusivity. It is a message of uniqueness. He is the only way to God. He is the only way to forgiveness. But that invitation is for everyone. The road is narrow because the road is Jesus, but the door is wide open. And there are not robbers and things on this path trying to stop you. Jesus says, it's right here. Follow me. This is the name by which we can be known. This is the staff that we can follow. And in fact, in the earliest days of Jesus' friends, you know, when they were trying to explain to other people who he is, here's how Peter said it. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, it's the same mentality that God was setting up all the way back in Numbers 17. There is a name on that staff. When it brings life, from a dead piece of wood, it's because he's pointing to a name. Of course, Aaron was human, just like us. Spoiler alert, Aaron's going to die. He is not still the high priest. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the high priest forever. That his name is above every other name. And when you are called Christian or Christ follower... You are being known by the name of the one that you follow. Unless you think it was just Jesus' friends who tried to pin this to him, Jesus said it himself. 
In John 14, the night before he went to the cross, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is about to go hang on a dead piece of wood to bring the miracle of life to all of us. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, we're only a few weeks away from Easter, and this is why we celebrate it. This is why we put so much energy every year. Like, I mean, at Horizon, we're doing whatever it is, six services, one, two, three, four, yeah, <laughs> six services. That's a lot of energy. And on Saturday, there, two of them are on Saturday, and in between is extravaganza. Awesome event for kids and families. Maybe that's something that appeals to you. Maybe you want to bring a friend who has kids. But why do we do that? It's not because we're bored. It's because he's alive. It's because I am alive because Jesus is not dead. I'm alive because he died and because he's not dead. He brings life and that's why we celebrate. And he is the only one. A couple weeks ago, I, I met another young dad, a guy named Alex. And I don't know, if you know how this is when you meet new people, like the conversation's super awkward until you hit something that you have in common. And like we hit that thing we had in common. We, we both have four young kids and we were talking about how like difficult that can be sometimes. You love them so much. You want to do such a great job and you just feel like you're failing. And like, hey, I feel that sometimes too. And so as we're talking, it's like that, that just opened up the whole conversation. And I, I sort of started to get this sense. We were just sitting talking over dinner and like, I feel like he'd probably be open to some spiritual insight here. Because as we're talking about fatherhood and life and just our own, our own journeys, like, you know what made the difference for me is, is Jesus. Like, if I'm growing at all, it's because of God. And so I thought, you know what, I'll just go there. And so I just told him a little bit of my story and a little bit of what God had done in my life and how I really felt like stuff that I'd screwed up, I knew that Jesus was my forgiver for and how much freedom and just peace that I found in that. And I could see, like, I mean, he was, something in him was reacting to it. And so when I finished, he said, you know what? I totally understand because I'm a Christian too. And he started telling me his story. And he told me about a time when he was a young adult that he was sitting in church, you know, probably something very similar to this, hearing the message of Jesus and feeling in his heart like he needs to respond. He needs to accept that. He needs to believe that. And uh, I don't know what church he was at, but they did an altar call, which if you've ever heard that phrase, it's basically at the end of the service. They call you up to the altar so you can pray to have Jesus be your savior. And so he knew, he knew today's the day he should do it. And he didn't do it. And so a few years went by. He found himself in a worse situation and just feeling totally wrecked in life and hearing another message and hearing another altar call. And so he decided, I, last time I think I wanted to wait till it was the right moment. Today I think I can't wait for the right moment. I think right now is the right moment. And so he responded that day and accepted Christ as his savior and his forgiver. And it wasn't long after that he heard somebody talking about baptism and how baptism is this thing that, like, he was thinking, now I'm a Christian, once I kind of get my life in line, then I'll go do baptism. That's sort of like the next level of Christianity, you know. Uh, and, but this day they were talking about baptism, like, no, it's like, believe and be baptized is the way that Jesus talks about it, the way the New Testament talks about it, that there's literally nothing to wait for. If you trust Christ as your forgiver, it's time to get baptized. Because the baptism, just like we're talking about here, is a symbol of death to life. Here at Horizon, we practice this by dunking people under the water. That's a picture of being buried with Christ in his death. And when you rise up out of the water, that's a picture of resurrection life through Jesus. And so this time he felt like he'd learned his lesson. He wanted to wait for the right moment because his family wasn't there, his friends weren't there, but he said, you know what? I've made that mistake before. I'm not gonna wait for the right moment. Right now is the right moment. And he got baptized that day. Now, what I haven't told you in this story is that those two things, when he became a Christ follower and when he got baptized, when he decided, I'm, I'm not going to wait till the right moment, I'm just going to do it right now, Alex was in prison. He wasn't in prison when I was having dinner with him. <laughs> and to hear what God has done in his life, to hear how God brings life from death, to hear how he sings a worship song with his kids every night before dinner, I was like, me too, <laughs> you know? Completely different tracks in life. Who even knows how we get together? I, I, honestly, I met him at City Gospel, just having dinner. 
And not everyone at City Gospel has been to prison, but that was Alex's story. And I realized, yeah, this is the high priest who stands before God on our behalf. He stopped the plague for Alex, he stopped the plague for me, and he gave us life. If you want to walk out these doors today and say, that's really interesting, but I think I'll find my own way to God, you're missing the miracle. Jesus is the high priest that God has chosen. That's how Alex responded to God. And so what's kind of surprising in the, uh, in the verse here, if you look right at the end of chapter 17, look at how the children of Israel respond. It says, so the children of Israel spoke to Moses saying, surely we die. <laughs> no, he was just saying this is so that you don't die. Surely we die, we perish, we perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? Okay, so they're, they're kind of wrong, but they're kind of right. So what they're thinking is, they've seen enough now of the pain that complaining and rebellion causes. They've seen death. They've seen plague. They're thinking, if I step into the Holy of Holies, I'll die. If I step into the holy place just outside that, I'll die. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not even come near the tabernacle. It's too risky. Now, if that's how they apply this, they're completely missing the point. God just said this whole thing, this whole sign, this reminder, everything is so you don't die. He wants them to come near. And so as it turns into chapter 18, God's going to give them kind of strange but very specific instructions so that they know basically like it's safe to come to the tabernacle. But the way he's going to do that is by putting all of the onus on the priests. All right, so check this out. We'll, we'll explain it as we go. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Now he doesn't mean their iniquity. He means the iniquity of the people. Because the iniquity associated with the priesthood is the, the sin, the falling short of God's standard that they bring before God for forgiveness. The sin of the people who approach God will be on the priesthood. Also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar, lest they die. Get this, they and you also. Okay, so again, this is the old covenant stuff that, that we're not practicing anymore, but what he's saying is the Levites can come in and serve in the tabernacle, but only the priests and the high priest can go into the holy place. Only the high priest can go into the holiest of holies. So even the Levites who serve there can't get too close lest they die. And so he puts that on the priests. Okay, next verse. They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider, meaning not a priest or Levite, shall not come near you. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. You see how everything about this plan that God is setting up is to avoid death and to avoid wrath. God is not flying off the handle. God is not out of control. God is not unfair. And in fact, the plans that he makes are specifically for life and for blessing. He says, Behold, I myself have taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And then look how he wraps it up in verse 7. Therefore you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. It helps to know for future weeks exactly what this means. Because we'll see this later in the book of Numbers have to be put into practice. So essentially what he's saying is, if somebody comes near to the holy place or the holy of holies who does not belong there, they die. Like if, if you try to stop them and they can't be stopped, then it actually is put on the priests to put them to death before they corrupt the entire camp. 
So it's pretty heavy duty. And so when you see that word, come near, commentators say that the Hebrew word here, it, it, it does mean like to approach something, but that the context and the nuance are a little closer to encroach. Like there's a negative intent here, which almost puts us back to the presumptuous sinner from a couple of weeks ago. The idea that somebody's saying, I know only the high priest should be in there and I don't care. You're not going to stop me. And so if they're charging through the temple, then it's on the priest to take them out. Why is God so serious about this? And he's basically saying either the encroacher dies for their own sin or the priest dies for the encroacher's sin. He bears the iniquity. But it's so that wrath doesn't break out on the whole camp. It's one of the places in the Old Testament where we see that God is very serious about his holiness and his righteousness and how dangerous it is to think that we can come into God's presence on our own terms. This is why all throughout the Bible, you see guys like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Peter, when they meet God, like when Peter meets Jesus, you know what he says? He falls on his face and says, away from me, I'm a sinner. That's way beyond I am unworthy. That is like, I'm going to die. I can't be this close to God. I'm, gonna, I'm not perfect. I'm going to die. So think about the message that God is giving here and think about how this fulfills through Jesus. Because all of this stuff about in the Holy of Holies and behind the veil, you know when Jesus died, the veil was torn. And if you go back to Hebrews chapter 6, it says that Jesus has gone as a forerunner behind the veil and anchored us in the Holy of Holies. And then the New Testament says, guys, this is scary. It says that when you become a follower of Christ, he seals you with the very Spirit of God. God's own spirit dwells in you. You cannot get any closer to the presence of God than to have him inside you. Why am I not dead? If walking into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God lives was like instant death, why am I not dead having God's very spirit inside me? Here's why, because the third part of the solution is that you only come near to God through the one who bears your sin. I'm not dead because of Jesus. That when the New Testament tells you that he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy, I know this sounds crazy and I know I don't act like it all the time, but I'm not dead in the presence of God because I'm perfect. He has removed my sin and he has removed yours so that you can stand with confidence in the presence of God. That you can boldly approach the throne of grace in your time of need. So here's my encouragement for you today. This is what I want for you. Choose the chosen one. Everything in these chapters that God has done to affirm Aaron is because he's pointing forward to Jesus Christ. So think about that this week. When you're tempted by sin, tempted to lie, tempted by lust, tempted to make yourself look a little better than maybe you really are, choose the chosen one. Choose Christ instead. Look at life through the one who gives life. When you're tempted to get down on yourself, to give in to that regret, to feel worthless, to feel unforgivable, don't believe those lies. Those are lies. If you're listening to me, those are lies. Choose the chosen one who died in your place to give you life everlasting. When you see a stranger in need, choose the chosen one and show them love. Which reminds me, I wasn't even going to tell you this, but don't forget we have these yellow bags where we're gathering supplies for Ukraine. And you can give to Matthew 25. They use that money to help ship that stuff over to them. I mean, there are needs all around us that we can do in the name of Christ. When you see a brother or sister in Christ in need, they need encouragement. They need joy. Choose the chosen one. Be like Christ. Step into that moment and give that to them. And if you've never chosen him before, 
If you're sitting here today and you think, maybe I've just been going to church all these years and maybe I've never really approached God through Jesus, then you can do that right now. It starts by just realizing, I can't come near to God on my own terms. I need Jesus every hour to be my one defense and my righteousness. And so maybe you just want to pray these words. Let's pray. God, thank you for making a way for me to come near to you. I admit that I've sinned and that I can't come to you on my own terms. Jesus, I trust you as my forgiver, as my high priest, as my one defense and my righteousness. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this week. Choose the chosen one and I'll see you next week.